stand. You may be seated. As you do so, let's continue in the worship of our God as we now take our copy of God's Word and we turn together to our passage for this morning and for really for the last time this season. And we find that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. If you've been with us over the Advent season, you know we have been camped out in this passage of Isaiah's prophecy of the Christmas story. Uh, but Advent's now passed. We have done our preparation. We celebrated Christmas this past uh, Monday, and we are moving on from it. But there are some Christmas, or some Christian, Christian traditions that the Christmas season actually begins on Christmas Day and lasts for 12 days until the celebration of Epiphany, which is the arrival of the wise men. And that's not part of our tradition in the ARP Church of being Reformed Presbyterians. Uh, we don't celebrate Christmas in that manner. But I would imagine many of us are still at least in some part of the Christmas mode. And so we'll have this one more Sunday of Christmas and finish out our time here in this prophecy of, of, of Isaiah. As we do so, let's keep in mind the reason for this prophecy. We go back to chapter 8, we find that God, through Isaiah, is telling his people that they're going to come under his discipline because they have been unrepentant and habitual in their sin. That really their pattern has been that they have loved their sin more than they love God and they've followed out their sinfulness more than they've followed after God. So God, in that loving, following disposition, says, I need to discipline you, to discipline you back onto the right path. And as soon as he gives that prophecy, that, 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 that instruction that he's going to bring upon them discipline, we come to chapter 9. And God, again, through Isaiah, now gives his people a prophecy of hope. That yes, discipline is coming, but in that discipline is hope. And the hope isn't so much that the discipline will, will end or not happen. The hope is looking forward to a Messiah. And the one coming will be the one who is known as uh, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And as we've been saying all along, this is Isaiah's view of the Christmas story. And so there's this sense where Isaiah looking forward to and us looking back end up in the stable in Bethlehem. And we're in the corner. And we see all the players in the nativity scene of relieved Joseph, of exhausted Mary, of crying baby Jesus, of, of dirty shepherds coming in wide-eyed, of, of wise men coming in. And as we're standing there, we're, we're taking it all in. The prophet Isaiah kind of pulls us closer and says, make sure to pay close attention to that child that Mary is holding, the child she's going to lay down in the manger, because that is the Christ child. And the good news of that Christ child is that he is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. And so this morning we look at the final description and wrap up our series by looking at this title of prince of peace. That mind, let's go now and pray for the Lord's peace upon our time here in his word. Father, there's, there's one thing we know is this. Satan hates worship. Satan hates the reading and preaching of his word. Satan cannot abide where the gospel is proclaimed. And our aim and goal in glorifying you this morning, Lord, is to come to your word, to hear your good news. So we pray for your peace. 
your peace that surpasses all understanding. Protect us from the spiritual battles. Protect us from our own sins and sinfulness. And help us now to hear your word as we read it, as we preach it, as we hear it applied. Lord, bless us in this time. Bless me, your messenger. Bless your flock here. So in all this, you and you alone are glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Let's stand together now for the reading of God's word. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. May be seated. During your family Christmas celebrations, maybe starting sometime last week, but going through Monday morning, even throughout the week, you open presents. And maybe you got what you were looking for, maybe you were surprised. But I would imagine that many of us, if we could open up the present of peace, we would do it. If we could request peace and know it would be wrapped up with a pretty little bow under the Christmas tree for us, we would have requested it. And that might have been the very first gift we would have opened up. We desire peace. And it makes us think, what would we do for peace? What price would we pay for peace? And I think it's something worth thinking through because we want peace because I think in part peace seems to be so lacking in our day and time. I don't think we would look around our world and go, wow, we're very thankful to be living in such a, a peaceful time. Peacelessness not only surrounds us, it just seems to be now a part of our normal lives. If you turn on the news, whatever format you, you, you go for your news, you're almost certain that there's going to be stories about warfare and strife somewhere in the world. Somewhere there's a battle, somewhere there's a war, somewhere there is peacelessness at work. And even the local news is filled with violence and the lack of peace. So this peacelessness, it's normal for us. We desire peace. If we could open it up on Christmas morning, we would. We find as Christians and we, we pray for peace. Peace in the world, peace at home, Peace in us. It's interesting, you can go on YouTube and you can find all sorts of different ambiance settings and noises to help you try to find peace. Peace while you study, peace while you do housework, even peace to help you go to sleep at night. And may we know those stories of people who go to great lengths to try and find peace because we desire peace in a peaceless world. And that brings us to what may be an irony of the Christmas story. That peace is an integral part of it. We think about the multitude of angels announcing to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Right there in the Christmas story, there is peace. We sing in that favorite Christmas carol, Silent Night, Sleep in Heavenly Peace. Christmas cards that declare peace, decorations that declare peace. Linus, talking about peace in a Charlie Brown Christmas. Peace is an integral part of Christmas. We think about Christmas, we're going to think about 
peace. And we see that in our passage for this morning. The child to be born, the son to be given, will be called the Prince of Peace. But that should lead us to beg the question, what peace? What is this peace that this Prince of Peace will come to rule over? Well, as we've already seen and discussed, this Isaiah prophecy is about Jesus. This has been fulfilled in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, born that first Christmas day. That Jesus is the child to be born. He is the son to be given. He is the one who will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. He will be the one who is the Prince of Peace. But what peace? What peace does he come to rule over? Well, we go to the Gospels and Jesus tells us in part what peace he is not the prince of. He says in Matthew 10, 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now we hear that that can sound shocking to some of us. Would, would Jesus really say that? Would, would, would Jesus, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, really tell people, no, 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 I did not come to bring peace. I have come with a sword. Would Jesus really say that? Well, the answer is yes. Read it there. What's he mean? What does it mean when Jesus intentionally tells us, I don't come with a peace sign. I come with a sword. I come with this weapon of warfare. Well, keep in mind all the context. Jesus never once denies that peace would result from his work. We think of the beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, we think of him telling the disciples to offer greetings of peace as they enter a home. That Jesus came to inaugurate the rule and reign of the kingdom of God, and this kingdom is characterized by a lasting peace. But this is a peace that results in the destruction of God's enemies, and the eradication of sin and its effects, and the presence of salvation of God. That is the, that is the peace that Jesus comes to bring and rule over. But this peace comes at a price. As we'll see in a few moments, that price is the prince himself, but we also see that the road to peace is not marked with tranquility. It's filled with division and conflict, and that's what Jesus means by the term sword. Matter of fact, Luke's account, he, he replaces the word sword with division. That division is inevitable because Jesus and his kingdom and that kingdom message demands a response. And we know this, we see this, because there are some who, who openly welcome Jesus. The door is open wide. When he knocks, they open and he comes in. But there are those who reject Jesus. There are those who reject his message, and sometimes they do it passionately. They can't just disagree with it. They want to tear it down. They want to tear us down. They want to see the church of Jesus Christ demolished. So we're told that conflict is expected because Jesus brings a new kingdom. Growing up, right inside of the, as we came to our house, to the left-hand side, we had a, uh, it was a popular picture of Jesus. He was the hippie Jesus. Very white, beautiful, long, brown hair, a brown beard, he looked like he could have been at Woodstock after he'd taken a bath. 
But I think there's that idea that that is the Jesus, that's the sort of Jesus out there. It's this hippie sort of Jesus who just goes around throwing out peace signs and all he's here is to bring good vibes and good times. Can we all just get along sort of mentality? But the gospel he brings is good news. He says we'll divide homes and families because some will reject it. It's good news that have caused wars to take place. It's good news of great joy that brings division because Satan rages and works against that gospel and the ministry comes from it. And we see it around us. I remember a young man in college at Winthrop with us. He was a little bit younger than us. He came, I believe, from a Buddhist family. When he came to Winthrop, he came, uh, became a Christian. And we went home and told his parents. His parents had just expressed disapproval or dissatisfaction. They cut him off. He was never allowed to go back home. They didn't pay for his college anymore. It was like he never existed. Not because he was a drug dealer or been arrested, but because he had come to believe in Jesus. We see that happen in our families. We see it happen in our lives. We see it happen in the world around us. This Prince of Peace is the mighty warrior God who doesn't come to put flowers in gun barrels, but who wields a sword for his people in the spiritual battle that we are all engaged in. When we look at this passage, when we look at the word peace here, it's a Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is shalom, that Jesus is the Prince of Shalom. And this word shalom conveys the idea of wholeness, of health, of well-being. It's a word, it's an idea that we can almost translate as salvation. That those who make peace, those who make shalom, are those who, who earnestly seek the salvation of others. So shalom is more than just wishing away the absence of trouble and everything is just good times and good vibes. Biblical shalom, biblical peace... It's desiring and working for all that makes for a complete and whole life. So biblical peace isn't a feeling. It's not an emotion we have to conjure up. It's not, it's not an emotion we get when we go to a, a certain place and we, and we try to you know, take that emotion and capture it in a bottle. It's not a fleeting emotion. Biblical peace is, is a concrete fact. It's a biblical viable truth because this shalom, this biblical peace ultimately means a standing before God. And our standing before God isn't based upon our feelings. And it's not based upon God's feelings. This, this standing before God is based upon His Son, Jesus Christ, of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And that's what Isaiah apart describes here in this, in this prophecy here in Isaiah. Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful in the sense of the divine, miraculous, and supernatural. Not that Jesus was a really good, you know, A-plus student. That his parents didn't have the back of the wagon, you know. My son Jesus is, is an honor roll student at Bethlehem High School. That's wonderful in the sense that he is the divine, miraculous, and supernatural. Wonderful in the sense that he is God. This child born is divine, and he's the divine wisdom of and for his people. That's who Jesus is. He's, he's the mighty God that the Son to be given is the warrior God. 
The one who's coming to do battle for his people, the God with the sword in his fist. That's who Jesus is. He's the everlasting Father. The eternal God who comes to make the eternal Father known to all of his people. As we talk about all these titles show us that Jesus is indeed divine and this is what he is coming to do. And when you take those three uh, descriptions, those titles, that, that, that job description of Jesus, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, all three lead to result of peace. Divine wisdom will always lead God's people to that peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. That wisdom of who God is and what he does will always lead us to that peace of who he is and what he does. The mighty warrior God who came to do battle, why? So that he can bring about peace for his people. He came to do battle with Satan and sin in order that we may have peace with the Father in heaven. And that's the result of this Jesus earned and Jesus given peace. We can now know our Father in heaven. Because apart from Christ, we are a sworn enemy of God, bent on rebelling against him and seeking to undo all he's done. But in Christ, through that peace he's obtained for us, we have shalom with our God. And we can now know him as our Heavenly Father. So in the end result of Christ, we can have this peace, knowing God as our Heavenly Father, access to the divine wisdom, and knowing that Jesus is at battle for us. That is what the Prince of Peace brings. That's the, that's the peace that he reigns over, that peace of wisdom, that peace of victory, that peace of being in the family of God. That is who, that is the shalom of Isaiah 9, 6. This is who Jesus is. And this is what he does. So this isn't an honorary title. This isn't uh, you know, some, some, some higher uh, institutions of education. Uh, institutions of higher education. Where was the right way to say? Institution of higher education will give out honorary doctorates. Right? You don't have to go through the studying and the tests and the paper writing. Uh, if you give enough money or if you're famous enough, they'll just give you a doctorate. Which means what? Nothing. You've done nothing to earn it. It's just a piece of paper. But it's not the honorary title for Jesus. It's a, it's a real title. It's a formal title given to him because this is what he's done. Jesus is the one who's gone to battle for. He's won the battle. and He oversees the peace of that victory for his people. So, so this peace isn't, isn't won on a conventional battlefield. See, what the scripture tells us is that this battle began before the beginning of time. Before there was Genesis 1-1, before there was a, a universe, before there was an earth, before there was anything. The triune God had the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made a covenant within himself to, to save his people. To do whatever is necessary to save his people. And that battle continues in the garden where the serpent tempts Adam and Eve into sin. And then God comes, comes into the garden. And what's the first promise he makes? That he will send forth the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpents. And that seed is Jesus Christ. And we see those battles foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament. And we see that the, the, the great battle announced 
by a promise to a virgin and a carpenter. And that battle rages forward through a birth and a manger. That battle is ramped up into perfect life and obedience to Jesus. Because think about his life. Tempted personally by Satan, but did not fall. Betrayed by his own friends. Persecuted by his own people, but never faltered. He kept every jot and tittle of God's law for his people. And where did that lead him to? The climax of the battle, which is on the cross at Golgotha. On that cross, where the mighty warrior God looked to his Father in heaven and declared ultimate eternal victory with these wonderful words, it is finished. And that battle was sealed when three days later there was an empty tomb in Jerusalem because the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace was was resurrected from the dead. This one prophesied about in Isaiah walks out of the tomb alive. So this battle for peace wasn't fought on some foreign land uh, with planes and tanks and bows and arrows or whatever it is. No, this battle was fought in the life death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why there is no peace apart from Christ. No government can give us the perfect peace. No medication can give us the perfect peace. No secluded beach, our island, our mountain can give us that perfect peace. It can only come from the Prince of Peace and that Prince is Jesus Christ himself. So we must ask ourselves these questions. Where does our peace come from? Where do we seek peace? What wisdom do we try to find it with? By whose might and victory do we seek to find it? What peaceful spiritual family do you seek to be a part of. What is your peace? The better question to ask is, who is your peace? And Isaiah says, it needs to be in the Prince of Peace. All of the peace is just a fleeting emotion. But that true reality of peace is only found in Jesus Christ. And it's only found by our standing before God. And the wonderful standing about before God isn't predicated upon our, ourselves. It's predicated upon Him. Our, our standing is predicated upon the fact that He came for you. He came to bring you this peace. And all you have to do is accept it. To bow your knee to the Prince of Peace to know that peace that passes all understanding. If your Christmas is anything like ours, then probably one of the best ways to describe it is chaotic. And there's nothing, as much as I hate the sound of Grinch and Scrooge, one of my favorite parts of Christmas is the end of Christmas. Because it's chaotic. And chaos can reign in our lives. Chaos can reign in our minds, in our emotions, in our hearts. And we look for peace. The only place we will find peace is in the Prince of Peace. The one who offers this promise. In me, you may have peace. 
In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In me, you may have peace. There's our Prince of Peace. This morning, if you're looking for peace, it's not out there. It's in Jesus. Bow your knee to the Prince of Peace. Know the peace that surpasses all understanding and rest in the one who says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, a peaceful rest. Let's pray together.